0: from Luke twelve, thirteen to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God.
1: Well, hello again, everyone. You don't have to say hello again, that's fine. I just do that to diffuse the tension. Um, I am Brendan, I'm Glad to be here speaking with you today, to be, uh, to be giving this first in a. We've got a two week uh, sort of mini series on the topic of giving and stewardship. Um, and I'd like to be very upfront in saying that this is a, uh, a topic. Maybe I'd just about rather be preaching on anything else. Um, money's a pretty uncomfortable topic. I get tense when I receive unsolicited advice on how to handle my money. I expect others to get tense when they receive unsolicited advice on how to handle their money. And any way that I spin it from up here, At some level, everyone in this room knows that what they are seeing is a guy who is paid with a portion of what this church receives in giving from its members. And that guy is subtly or blatantly suggesting that everyone else give more money to the church that gives him his money. Now, that doesn't stand up to very much scrutiny at all. This is not a pirate ship. We're not paid in shares of the weekly plunder. Um, Nevertheless, I get somewhat uncomfortable discussing this because I feel greedy talking about money. other people I've never seen this church as ungenerous um, and I don't think it is I've been through highs and lows in my life and during both I've witnessed and received the incredible generosity of this church to me specifically and that's been an enormous blessing to me but if you have a keen eye for patterns and you've read the bulletin and have been reading it frequently you probably noticed a pretty dismal repetition in the little window there that for the sake of transparency of our church, we print the uh, offering report each week, percent of the budget raised weekly 82, 84, 88, 92, 79, 84, 88. Something's happening there. It's not an extravagant budget, it doesn't feature a big chunk of discretionary spending for a church of our size. It's on the sort of lean size of average. So there is something going on in the way that we give as a church and I'm convinced the problem is not that we are a tight-fisted bunch who are not generous because that just hasn't been my experience here. We are not ungenerous. I have constantly experienced the generosity of this church and I think the key to the problem is actually the same thing that causes me to feel so uncomfortable talking about money from up here. Money is weird, it's an intimidating topic. If anyone knows how much money we make and how much we give, then they probably will make an instinctive judgement on whether or not you give enough. 5%? That's a cheapskate move. 15%? Well, it must be nice to have 15% to give away. It's an uncomfortable topic because it should be uncomfortable in some sense. Wealth does in some way control the, the quality of our lives and our relationships and our ability to accomplish the things we want to accomplish. How we regard ourselves and regard others, it's tied into that and it's just not as simple as saying money's not everything or even just saying that you can't serve both God and money. The answer is more complex than just that. And we know that because the Bible does not offer just a simple answer to the question about stewardship and giving and how to handle money. It's one of the most well-covered topics in the Bible, talked about over and over again. And when we understand the guidance of Scripture and God's wisdom on how to live and give, then we'll find that that impacts every part of our life. And that improves the way that every part of our life is impacted by our wealth. And the passage that we read today is not one of Jesus' most famous parables. It's not riddled with interesting symbols or tricky Greek words to pull apart or with secondary meanings. But we will step through it quickly to see what Jesus is precisely teaching here. He tells this story of a a man who is wealthy, his grain is in great surplus, He's wealthy in the agricultural sense. He considers how he might store up that grain to make it a long-lasting wealth so he doesn't have to work so hard in the future or perhaps work at all, he wants an early retirement. So he decides he will build a barn and he will store it up, but he doesn't get to build that barn, in fact God shows up and tells him, apparently immediately after he has the thought, actually you are dead. The moral, he should be orienting his material blessing towards honouring God in his life, not towards mere personal enrichment. He is storing up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Now, this moral is good and right, and it's not particularly helpful on its own if that's the only piece of scripture you read on the topic of giving. It's an abstract idea to be rich towards God. How do you do that precisely? But Christ gives this parable in response to someone from the crowd, And their specific objection and that's where the interesting part of this scripture lies in verses 13 through 15 someone in the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me jesus replied man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you then he said to them watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed life does not consist in an abundance of possessions so there's a man in the crowd who his brother is hogging the inheritance Presumably, he's the younger brother because very frequently in the ancient world, the older brother would get all the inheritance or a double share of the inheritance. It's a way of the family concentrating their wealth over time. And so either way, these brothers, their father has probably just passed and his brother has ended up with way more than he has. And he wants Jesus to whirl around and say, How dare you, older brother, hoard your father's wealth? You should share it equally with your brothers. So the guy asked Jesus for his brother to share and Jesus turns around and actually says no I'm not judging between you in this and then he tells the crowd what I think is the most significant line in this passage watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed life does not consist in an abundance of possessions the two important things here that I see Jesus says to watch out against all kinds of greed and there are two kinds of greed featured in this Uh, question given to him there's the older brother with the bulk of the inheritance hanging on to it and not dividing it with his brother probably should be more generous if his brother really needs it but then there's the younger brother who feels so entitled to overturn his father's will and sees what he wants from his brother there's the hoarding instinct of the rich and then there is the envy of the poor and both of these are kinds of greed But even though the parable uses the example of a rich man, Christ is telling this story in response to the poor man's complaint. It's like he's saying, you're going to war with your brother over this? Over material things? You have too high of a view of wealth. Stop being resentful of what someone else has and start being a faithful steward of what you do have. And that's a good message. There's a core of that which warns against this long-term plan of using wealth as an objective because wealth can be fleeting it's not the ultimate goal and we don't get to take it with us when we die don't build your life around it there are more important things meanwhile in Luke 14 Jesus gives a different example at that time he's talking about the cost of being a disciple but he seems to use thoughtful long-term planning with money as the good example to follow Luke 14 28 to 29 suppose one of you wants to build a tower won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it for if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish so Christ here is talking about thinking ahead and about being what the cost of the disciple is going to be before they put the hand up for the job but the first example he thinks to use the clearest example of why one should count the cost and think ahead is an economic one and that sounds like an implicit divine endorsement of wise long-term stewardship of money in addition to a divine endorsement of our previous example of a more short-term immediate benefit view how do I use this money for the kingdom now and not store it up for later luke 19 has a, a similar implied theme with the parable of the talents where the the two servants invest their master's money and come back with more and are blessed for it and one squanders it and then is punished for it the point of this is that the Bible actually has a great deal to say about stewardship and about money and it's not as simple as saying material things are transitory money is fleeting if you make money into an idol it will betray you like any other idol will but it's also a blessing from God which we have an obligation to treat wisely, to handle well, and for whatever it means, in a godly, spiritual sense, to get some kind of return from it. The wealth we have is actually God's investment in us. Each of us is an individual start-up company of God, you incorporated. He's invested this financial wealth in you, and you have it at your disposal. All the wisdom and the advisors and mentors placed around you to help you use it well all the support of your family and your friends and your church and the goal of this company is to grow you into a more spiritually mature and complete follower of Christ who is equipped to spread the gospel and to better support the other startups around you And that's not a bad way to think about stewardship honestly it's an example that Christ uses but here's the kicker imagine that you are an investor in this startup in you incorporate you're an investor in yourself and you come over to look over how your life and your investment is going, would you find whoever's in charge of the books of that place and say, you're storing up wealth in material things and you're not reaching our goals? Or would you say, you're wasting money on smashed avo paninis and stuff that you don't need? Either way, would you fire everyone who is in charge of the money of your life and hope that someone else could turn the ship around? Our wealth is just another thing God has given us to use in our lives to honor him. But there is something that is weird and abstract about money, especially today where all our transactions are digital and it doesn't feel like you're doing anything. Something about that that makes it hard to tame in our lives. And so as Christians we are highly vulnerable to people offering us very simple solutions to the problem of money. These are traps that appeal to our need to reduce the chaos in our lives and if someone says, you need to give to the church give till it hurts dig deep into your pockets give the money to god and he will bless you back like you wouldn't believe he will multiply your giving back into your life you can see the appeal for most of us money feels like a pretty scarce resource and it would be nice to have a surefire way to invest that money to get a lot of return and pretty nice if that way was also very honoring to god that's a powerful offer there's a lot of comfort in the idea that stewarding our money and giving to the church is easy and profitable likewise there is another trap that money doesn't matter at all That money is actually a meaningless thing and look at all those richer Christians with their nicer cars and their nice houses they don't need that the big megachurch preachers with their fancy jets if they were real Christians they'd be poor like me and they'd send to sell their jets and give their money to the poor like me This is envy, this is a kind of greed. This is an attitude that shows up two places in the gospel. Once it's Jesus, and he can get away with it because he can actually judge people's hearts. He's not genuinely envious. When the rich young man comes to Jesus and asks what he needs to do to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus tells him to give away all his possessions. He's judging that man's heart because he knows he's overvaluing his wealth. But the other time it happens is when Jesus is being anointed with expensive perfume. And Judas Iscariot sneers that Jesus is being wasteful and should have the woman sell the perfume and give the money to the poor. There are some Christians who are so desperate to get away from the message of the prosperity gospel that they will actually emulate the attitude of Judas instead, judging the hearts of others instead of looking to their own hearts and their own blessings and trying to steward them better. So the biblical wisdom on wealth and stewardship and giving is wide and deep and we are challenged not to let the necessity of money make us spiritually long-sighted building our barns for a day that we won't see or short-sighted squandering the investment that God has made in us. We have to take care to sidestep the trap of the prosperity message that says if you give to God he will pay you back in cash and the trap of being resentful of the prosperous. And this is all good to know, but how does this impact us here and now in this church? What does it mean in our individual cases to be good stewards giving to our church? Well, I want to look quickly at three big questions about giving, the kind that make us uncomfortable to talk about giving directly. That seemed like a good place to start. The kind that we should ask if we're really giving thought to the way that we handle our money and trying to be generous towards God, as our passage suggests we should be. Let's ask why do we give to the church? Let's ask how much should we give? There's a prescribed amount, if there really is a number we're supposed to be hitting. And let's ask if there is a good reason to not give. So, first, why do we give to the church? The short answer is because the church is a community hub. And it runs on services that costs money. Any place where there's a community of people combining their lives in some fashion it concentrates their blessings and their needs in one place this means our kids get to learn and socialize together it means we get the joy of worshiping God together in this wonderful building it means we have access to the church as a place where hundreds of people come to pull their love and care for one another in their lives it means missionaries can be supported by a handful of small churches rather than many hundreds of individuals making great painful sacrifices it's the power of the kingdom of God on earth to concentrate our love for the world in one place and to be reinforced and taught by the love of God we can spread out our sacrifices amongst ourselves so that we can do great things collectively that we could not do alone that's the financial reality of the kingdom of God as it plays out here and now now some folks prefer to do their giving directly to causes that they care about specifically Maybe they've uh, <clears throat> they've had some um, a particular disease in their family that is meaningful to them, and so they would rather give their money to that charity. They make donations to Compassion Christian Blind Mission, with the assurance that their money is going to do God's work, just kind of further away and to people who probably need it more. And there is, in one sense, that that is a good instinct. Christian charity is an awesome weapon that we get to use. To fight the spiritual battle in the far places where it must be fought most. It directly impacts those suffering the most and opens up doors that otherwise the gospel would not be able to go through. But the luxury to concern oneself only with giving to the most exciting causes or those personally relevant to us comes at the cost of everyone else involved in the church. If everyone picked their favorite exotic causes and turn to their giving that way the doors of every local church would shut within a couple of months being part of a church community is socially buying into the kingdom and spiritually buying into the kingdom the giving a portion of our income to support and maintain that community is just a financial extension of that principle we invest in our kids when we want them to succeed we invest in our skills when we want to succeed in our job and we invest in our church when we want our community of believers to succeed in supporting one another and spreading the gospel in their neighbourhood to decide that the church is not worth giving to is to decide to enjoy the benefits of that community without shouldering any of the cost and to do it from the moral safety of knowing that no one is going to be able to audit you now more than ever giving is between us and God everyone assumes that anyone who lets the bag go by them is giving digitally And that's a fine thing to do. The digital age has broken the shaming power of the collection plate. And praise God that giving in church no longer needs to be a performance in any way. But now it really is just between you and God and no one outside of the Holy Spirit can judge you for your lack of giving or praise you or promote you for your abundance of giving. Now the question of how much one should give is much easier to deal with. You've really only got three big options there. A, everything, B, 10%, the classic option, or C, some number that you have come up with yourself and feel comfortable with God is what you should be giving. We can write off A. You'll be happy to know. The idea that we should give everything that we own into church ownership is an idea that comes out of the church in acts having all things in common And some fairly extreme denominations and cults that have spun off mainstream Christianity hold to that idea today that the saints should sign over their houses to the name of the church to be fully bought in. It's a notion that works with house churches churches in the first century. It does not work today. There are some fascinating stories about the early settlers of the United States trying to set up self-sufficient communities where everyone held everything in common like the early church did and within two years of those colonies setting up they were in a lot of trouble because in the stored grain silos no one would deposit grain and people would take grain and inside of two years they were eating rats and shoelaces so let's not go there the real question here is are Christians bound to give the tithe that is the 10% of the gross wages as described in the Old Testament that was given to the Levites to run the temple for the Jews Or are we bound to our own consciences and our relationship with God to determine how much it is we should be giving? How much we can or can't give each week? And good men and women can differ on this question. I haven't heard an answer that's so convincing that I must completely dismiss the other. I encourage you to investigate it yourselves. I don't think that the 10% is a guideline nailed down for Christians. When it was given, it was given for a context where there were 12 tribes giving 10% of their income to one of their number one of those 12 tribes, support them while they full-time uh, operated the temple and did the temple services. But we're not the Israelites, and this is not the temple. We need to give to our churches, for our church's community expenses, but I don't think there is a figure that is nailed down for that particularly. All the same, 10% is a pretty good place to start negotiating with your conscience. It's a significant amount, but it's not so much that you will start hyperventilating just thinking about it. I found this comparison helpful. Um, presumably, each of us sleeps about eight hours a night, and if you don't, you should, because we care about you. Um, but let's say we sleep eight hours a night, which gives us 112 hours of discretionary time in the week. And If you knock off 40 hours or so for work, or if you're retired because you used to work, and that's good enough, 10% of that time is about seven hours and change. Do you spend maybe seven hours a week doing stuff at the church or, or uh, being involved in church activities, things that flow naturally out of our community life here? That's like one Sunday service, one home group, and maybe one ministry you're involved in. That's not an unreasonable amount of time to invest in this community, and I think that represents 10% of your discretionary time. 10% of our money is not a big deal to hand over for that. And if you feel that's a lot of time to spend doing church things, then I'd like to suggest that you're not really getting the value out of the church community that it offers you. This is the kingdom of God's people. And when we do this well, it's not just a nice feeling. It really impacts every other aspect of our lives. We get to be the hands and feet of God among one another and in the world. It means an improvement in the way that we feel socially and mentally and spiritually. It benefits us dramatically. But like we said earlier, no one's going to be able to come and audit your giving. Your giving is between you and God, and it's worth thoughtfully and deliberately working over. So is there a reason to give less than you would normally give? If you've determined a number, let's say 10%. Is there a reason, say, in a time of financial hardship not to give that much, to pull back? Is that stealing from God? Or do we have the discretion to hold off? I may get into trouble for this, but actually yes I think it's all right in a time of financial crisis to dial back on your giving to the church but I want to put a huge asterisk on that and I draw this from Matthew 15 verse 4 Jesus is telling off the Pharisees for being hypocrites again it's not actually the title of the passage but that's what he's doing Jesus says this for God said honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death but you say That if anyone declares what they might have used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, then they are not to honor their mother or father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now there's a lot to unpack there, but to me it's hard to get away from the implication that it's foolish to overlook an immediate crisis and instead devote money to the church if that crisis itself is the kind of thing God would want you to devote your time and money to. For example, looking after your family. We have responsibilities to our families as part of the kingdom of God. And really, if your weekly contribution to church is the difference between your kids eating or not, no one's going to judge you for holding off. But let's not forget that asterisk. For some people, the calamities of life just pile up, and God help them, they just can't seem to catch a break from that. But for the vast majority of us, For the vast majority of people in this country, even in lowly circumstances, we make too much money to be poor. We make too much money to be in a position where we don't have the money to give this week. The reason we end up not giving to church or not helping our brother or sister in need is not because we don't have the wealth to do it, it's because we're probably not as diligent with our money as we should be. We don't budget like we know that we should, we don't plan like we know we should. We just kind of squeeze our eyes shut and muddle through life and we get to the end all right. And that's the kind of situation where you may run out of money one week and need to pull back from your giving obligations. This is what I mean when I say I don't think it's our church's problem with generosity. I just don't think that exists here. So I'm not going to suggest to you to increase your giving unless this has been put on your heart by the Holy Spirit, in which case far be it from me to get in the way there if you're convicted to do that and that's something that's been on your heart for a while then act on it you don't need my approval to do so but before you stand up to sing in a few minutes decide in your heart how much you're going to give as a as a recharging of that habit of giving and then next week come prepared to give but I am going to ask you for something else I believe that the greatest strength of the church is the capacity of its members to use its gifts for the betterment of the whole for the individuals to bless the whole with the way that God's gifted them and I believe that everyone in our church I'm sure would be happy to give more if they didn't feel so limited by what they had if you felt you had better control over your financial life you didn't feel so pressed with money would you be willing to give more that pretty much everyone would say yes if I had more money I would give more money being generous, generous is fun generosity is, a, is an exciting it's a good thing to do It's a blessing to others and it blesses us. And I know that when I was first grappling with the idea of giving, the reason that I didn't back in the day was not that I I thought that the church didn't deserve it or that I didn't think I should give money. It was because I was already looking at zeros in my account at the end of the week and I had no idea what happened to that money because I had no good sense of how to deal with it. But some of us are really good with money, really good with budgets, Really good with giving, they have enough, they feel like they have enough every week because they've dealt with their money well. They can have three months of expenses socked away in case there's an emergency so they don't have to sacrifice their giving when an emergency comes. Maybe both their parents were accountants, maybe I'm talking about you, maybe you came through a very difficult financial time and as you learned to dig your way out of that, you gain the discipline and the blessing to teach others how to deal with their money better. For these people, a crack in the cylinder of their car, one of the cylinders is is not a big deal. It doesn't mean the end of the world. They don't have to have a crisis over it. They're able to say yes when someone in church comes up to them with a clipboard asking for a donation to send something to somewhere. And nothing that the world throws at them is able to stop them from being generous to the church and generous towards God because they're being good stewards of what they already have. And if that's you, I would like your help. If you have financial skills, budgeting skills, some experience in going from out of control financially to back in hand, I'd like you to consider using those skills for the good of the church. So after this sermon, before you lose the courage to do it, I want you to either find me directly and then write your name on my hand so I don't lose it, or alternatively fill out one of our uh, white communication cards, write your name and a communication line of some kind, doesn't matter if it's email or phone I will find you write the words money ministry so I know what it's about I'm trying to put together a team of gifted people who are able to help the rest of us in this church who aren't particularly good at telling our money where to go and I think if we do the thing that we're called to do which is use our gifting for the good of the kingdom then we can release each other from the fear of money and free us to be more generous with what we have And so if that's you and you have something to offer don't let it slip away please communicate with me one way or the other if I'm too scary to talk to personally fill it out on the card I need your help to make this ministry into a blessing to the church but if you're not one of those people if you're more like me And money has historically been telling you what to do and not the other way around. Consider that maybe the best thing for you to do for the church is not to give more and then get nervous and pull back in two weeks' time. Maybe the best thing you can do is make it a genuine project and habit in your life to get your financial house in order. That way you can bless your community and family with confidence. And not worry that tomorrow will wipe out your capacity to give. There's so much Christian literature on this topic that's out there now. There's an Aussie guy called Alex Cook who runs a website called WealthWithPurpose.com if you want to look that up. Um, That's a great place to start. My favorite is an American guy called Dave Ramsey. I find him energetic and hilarious. But also very biblical. But look for somewhere to start learning. Get on a budget, take control of that part of your life. Don't let what's meant to be a blessing from God push you around. And if we let God's blessing on us blow away each week because of carelessness, or if we lock it up entirely in worldly things that don't benefit the kingdom, then we're betraying the kindness that God has shown us. But if we reject the knee-jerk reactions to money that lead to greed and resentment, and if we take responsibility for what God has put into our hands, then we'll be able to bless one another... And our church community and the community around us and every Sunday the act of turning over a portion of our wealth to God back to the God who gave it will feel like the joyful act of gratitude that it's meant to be so think about that if you have those skills let me know after this but for now let's pray Father God You know our hearts. You know where our worries and our hopes lie, and you know what things we've neglected and disregarded in our lives. May your spirit focus us as individuals and as a body of your people to turn our eyes back to the things that matter in the short term and the long term, and to give proper weight to those things that are passing, not too much or too little weight. Make us into worthy bearers of your blessing so that we can turn it back to you, multiplied in some growth of your kingdom in people who have just heard your gospel through us and those who have come to be more like your son because of the work of this church. And bless us, our Father, as we seek to share our giftings for the betterment of your church. We pray this in your son Jesus' holy name. Amen.